You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. Please take your copy of the Scriptures and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Last evening, Karen and I had the opportunity to attend a gala for a wonderful ministry that some of our own church family are involved in. It's called The Dwelling Place. The Dwelling Place is a Christian ministry that provides healing and hope to victims of domestic abuse through various support services, and they also provide a safe place they can call home. During During the evening, we heard stories through video, and then we heard stories from two different women who have both experienced God's grace in marvelous ways during their time at the dwelling place. As each of them recounted their own story of abuse, I was reminded afresh of the brokenness of our world and the devastation of sin. Specifically, friends, these women and so many others like them have been on the receiving end of broken promises. They have been hurt deeply by those who should have offered them love and protection. As they each shared how God has graciously intervened, rescued them, and brought them to a place of help and safety, I couldn't help but think of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Friends, there is a direct connection between the hope and healing that these women have found in Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. It is the Holy Spirit who intervenes, who leads and guides. It is the Holy Spirit who gives divine comfort and perfect help. It is the Holy Spirit who brings forth the fruit of love and joy, and peace out of the painful soil of abuse. I want to invite you to focus your attention with me this morning on the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that our eyes will be open to see with greater clarity our need for the Spirit's ongoing work, We are a desperate people. I pray as well that our appreciation and gratitude for the ministry of the Spirit will deepen through our study. So look with me at Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, where we find an explanation of the Spirit's arrival. When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. This is the moment. The promised Holy Spirit is coming to inaugurate the new covenant and indwell all true believers, uniquely empowering them to be Christ's witnesses. 
There are so many texts we could go to as we consider the promise of the Spirit. We've been talking about it in, the, in weeks past. The longing, the waiting, the uncertainty. Now the time has come. And this is the fulfillment of a great promise. As we think about the promise of the Spirit and the fulfillment, I want you to listen to the words of Jesus recorded in John's Gospel. As Jesus prepared for his ascension, he promised that he would send a helper, a counselor, a protector, a comforter, a guide. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The promise of the indwelling Spirit is exclusively a promise for and a gift to every Christian. Later in John 14, verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit is what enables a Christian to know the truth of God's Word. And and with this knowledge of the truth comes peace and confidence. In John chapter 16, verse 4, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
Friends, the Holy Spirit will lead disciples of Jesus, as one commentator says, into all the implications of the truth intrinsically bound up in Jesus. Just as Jesus glorifies the Father, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus and discloses the splendor of his person and work. If you understand the beauty and the splendor and the glory of the gospel this morning, it's because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's not your own intellect. It's not because you got lucky. It's because the Holy Spirit came upon you and opened your eyes to see the beauty of Jesus. When we consider the promise of the Holy Spirit, and all that Scripture has attached to the arrival of the Spirit at Pentecost, brothers and sisters. Our study this morning should give us profound joy and gratitude. You see, the indwelling Holy Spirit is not a promise we look forward to, but it is a present reality we enjoy. In this very moment, brothers and sisters, you are experiencing the gift and the work of the Holy Spirit. If you are understanding the Word of God, if the truth of Scripture is working its way into your mind and your heart right now, this is the Spirit's work. If you experience any conviction over sin this morning, it will be the Holy Spirit's work. If your affections for Jesus were aroused as you sang this morning, it was the Holy Spirit's work. If you find comfort, if you find comfort in the cross this morning, if the peace of Christ overcomes you when you take of the bread and the cup, oh friend, it is because the Holy Spirit is in you and He is working to sanctify you. You see, in a world of broken promises, it is so hopeful to know that God never breaks a promise. He never fails. His love is a covenant love. We, we saw this in Nehemiah, didn't we? Though the people fail, though they turned away, God never went back on His promise. He promised a Messiah a suffering servant who would also be a conquering king. This servant king, as he completed his earthly ministry, promised that he would send a divine helper. And it's now through the reality of these fulfilled promises that the good news of the king and his kingdom will go to the ends of the earth through the spirit-empowered witness of God's people. Let us... Give praise and thanks for the Holy Spirit who has come. We move from an explanation of the Spirit's arrival to evidence of the Spirit's activity. Look at verse 4. 
Verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, before I explain verse 4, look briefly back at verses 2 and 3 again. As the disciples had gathered and the time of fulfillment had arrived, the text says, verse 2, suddenly, there suddenly came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. I want you to notice first that the gathered disciples did not did not experience a rushing wind, but a sound like a rushing wind. The same is true for the mention of fire in verse 3. One one commentator simply says the coming of the Spirit was accompanied by three supernatural signs, a sound, a sight, and strange speech. The noise was not wind, but sounded like it. The sight was not fire, but resembled it. And the speech was in languages which were not ordinary, but in some way other. Now there are lots of ideas about the significance of the presence of both wind and fire here, but let me me offer you what I believe the, the significance of both of these are. In other places throughout God's Word, wind is an emblem for the spirit or the creative breath of God. You see this in 2 Samuel 22.6, Psalm 33.6, Ezekiel 37.9 and 10, John 3.8. In fact, both the Hebrew and Greek words for spirit can mean both wind and breath. The power of the spirit is, is likened to breathing life into corpses. We see that in Ezekiel 37. So the overarching point here is that the Holy Spirit is present and powerful. And this is a sovereign act of God. The Spirit has arrived in power. This is undeniable. Now in addition to wind, the text makes reference to fire. Well, throughout God's Word, fire is another symbol of God's presence. See that in Exodus 19.18, Isaiah 66.15. Fire is also often a sign of God's purification or judgment. Both Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, and Malachi. And remember how John the Baptist described the ministry of Jesus in Luke chapter 3, verses 16 and 17? John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So friends, 
We good? All right, I was beginning to think I would have to interpret something that was happening right now <laughs> for all of you. Friends, the Spirit has arrived. This is what we find out here. This is what the language of the text is leading us to as a conclusion. And he has arrived in power, but also with a purpose. So he has arrived in power and with a purpose. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit now belonging to every true believer means that every true believer is able to serve as a spirit-empowered witness of Jesus. Isn't this the promise of Acts 1.8? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In fact, we see the very earliest stages of the fulfillment of Acts 1.8, don't we? In, in verses 4 through 11. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit has come and followers of Jesus now described as being filled with the Spirit are engaging in the mission of Jesus Christ. I love how Tony Morita describes the indwelling or filling of the Spirit. This is what he writes. We shouldn't see these events in Acts as something that came and went. Rather, what happened on the day of Pentecost was, has abiding significance. The Spirit came and stayed. The day of Pentecost was like a mayor installing a great water system in a city. From that point on, every time a new home is built, households can connect to the water system. In other words, the day of Pentecost was the installation of God's new source of blessing and power for the benefit of his people. Now every person who turns to Christ in repentance and faith has access to this great source of power. The installation happens only one time at the point of salvation, but the significance is ongoing. Again, the Spirit has arrived in power and with a purpose. This is so clear in the text. Look at verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that what we hear, each of us, is in his own native language. There are many religious movements and church denominations that have a totally unbiblical understanding of the Holy Spirit. They fail to understand his power and his purpose. And it not only leads to chaos, but it leads far too many people into great confusion and deception. Friends, this is a good reminder for us that from the earliest moments of the Spirit's work, we find something vastly different than what is so pervasive today. Luke's emphasis here is on the international nature of the crowd. All Jews who had been dispersed but were now back in Jerusalem. Obviously, there were not literally people from every nation under heaven. That's from the perspective of the author. But the crowd was diverse and from many different places. 
Now, what attracted people to this spectacle was the miraculous nature of what was happening. Though the crowd consisted of people from many different places, each of them was hearing the message of the disciples in their own language. Friends, they were hearing the disciples' message in their own language because the Holy Spirit was working a miracle. This was a miracle of utterance. The disciples were speaking in known languages, the languages of the people present, those listed in verses 9 through 11, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. This is an amazing scene. We find out later that it's this miraculous work of the Spirit along with Peter's sermon that leads thousands to repent and believe in Christ. But not everyone immediately understood what was happening. Look at verses 12 and 13. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Some understood what was happening and wanted more information. What does this mean? They ask. Peter will answer that. But others responded with mocking, claiming that Christ's disciples were drunk. They had to come up with another explanation for what was happening. The Spirit came in power and with a purpose. And so I want to begin to conclude our study this morning by taking a brief look at the purpose of the Spirit's work. The purpose of the Spirit's work. What is the end? What is the goal? What is the aim to which the Spirit has come? The text has offered us an explanation of the Spirit's arrival, evidence of the Spirit's activity, and now notice the end to which the Spirit was sent. Verse 11, again, both Jews and proselytes finishing this list of people, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Focusing on that second part of verse 11. What is it that this diverse crowd is hearing in their own tongue? They are hearing the mighty works of God. That's the purpose. That's the aim. That's the goal of what's happening. Now this should come as no surprise. Remember again, the focus of the Spirit's indwelling presence and power. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit is sent. He comes upon believers so that believers can be witnesses for Jesus and to the work 
of Jesus. Tony Morita makes a very important comment at this point in his commentary. He considers the miraculous work of the Spirit, and this is what he writes. A person filled with the Spirit may do a, a variety of activities, but all will magnify Jesus. A person filled with the Spirit may do a variety of activities, but all, all will magnify Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the Spirit has come so that Jesus will be known and worshipped among all the nations. Think about it. The Great Commission requires, right? The Great Commission requires the presence of and the power of the Holy Spirit from beginning to end. Everything God has called you to do, believer, requires the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Everything He's called you to in your marriage, everything He's called you to as a parent, the witness that He's called you to be in your workplace, the involvement that He's called you to in this church. It is the Spirit who gives life. It is the Spirit who bears fruit, bringing maturity and growth. It is the Spirit who protects and perseveres. It is the Spirit who comforts and convicts. It is the Spirit who enables and empowers gospel ministry and mission. It is the Spirit who makes the message of the gospel effective. In fact, listen to the Word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When Paul writes, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Friends, this is what we want for our church, and this is what we want for every ministry of this church. Our goal is not to make things so slick that we ensure a positive response from people. But it is to rely so profoundly on the Holy Spirit and to so unashamedly lift up the name of Jesus Christ that when people respond, we will have confidence. We will know this is the Spirit's work. It's not an empty response to the actions of some man or some woman who crafted just the right message and presented it just the right way. Now, this should give all of us confidence in, in our desire to share the gospel with others. Be diligent, study God's word, know the gospel, seek to share it with great clarity. But at the end of the day, the effectiveness of your witness for Christ is not dependent upon the, the smoothness of your presentation. So you might hear someone preaching the gospel and think, I could never do that. I could never speak like that. The, the clarity and the, the persuasiveness with which they're presenting the gospel, I couldn't do that. God hasn't called you to do that. 
You have the same Holy Spirit indwelling you. You are called to the same mission and ministry. So go and tell and allow the Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do. And that's bring life where spiritual death exists. Apart from the sovereign work of God's Spirit, unbelievers will remain lost. And apart from the sovereign work of God's Spirit, every believer here this morning would still be lost. Redeemer, we need to be reminded of the Holy Spirit. We need to celebrate the indwelling of the Spirit. We need to long for the powerful work of the Spirit. Don't assume. Don't assume the Spirit's presence and power. In closing, John Stott reminds us how desperately we need the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable and impossible. There can be no life without the life giver. No understanding without the spirit of truth. No fellowship without the unity of the spirit. No Christ-like character apart from his fruit. And no effective witness without his power. As a body without Breath is a corpse, so the church without the Spirit is dead. So we look back to the events of Acts 2, the miraculous outpouring of the Spirit, and we want to connect that reality, friends, to what we now experience today. So brothers and sisters, as we consider God's word this morning and we prepare our hearts to come to the table, I want you to think deeply about the gift and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Several years ago, a songwriter that I think you've heard of, David Ward, wrote a wonderful hymn, which I think will help direct our thoughts this morning. In fact, let me... Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes so that you'll maybe more easily consider the words of this wonderful song. O God, the Holy Spirit, eternal one of three, my comforter and teacher, be merciful to me. You hovered over chaos the land and sea to part, so manifest your power to calm my restless heart. O God, the Holy Spirit, direct me to the cross where I can see the suffering my waywardness has cost. In Jesus' death, please show me the power of my sin and by his life, Convince me this battle he will win. O oh God, the Holy Spirit, 
put Jesus on display. Remind me how my Savior took all my guilt away. My sins were all forgiven and satisfaction made. Atonement was completed. My captive soul was saved. Oh God, the Holy Spirit, come deepen and impart. These saving, loving lessons upon my desperate heart that I might loathe my evil and flee from Satan's snares, then run to my Redeemer and cast on Him my cares. Holy Spirit, come and work. Work in us, even in this moment. Prepare our hearts to take of the bread and the cup. Put before our eyes clearly the work of our Savior. And then give us feet to swiftly run to Him where we will find rest.